Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is the counter-initiation. This will be my third interview with Charles Upton, whose first two books of poetry, Panic Grass in 1968 and Time Raid in 1969, were published by City Lights in San Francisco, known for publishing the works of the great beat poets and he might be considered the youngest poet of the beatnik movement. He was in high school when those books were published. He subsequently became engaged in metaphysics and the traditionalist movement and is author of many books, including Folk Metaphysics, Mystical Meanings in Traditional Folk Songs and Spirituals, Cracks in the Great Wall, UFOs and Traditional Metaphysics, Knowings in the Arts of Metaphysics, Cosmology, and the Spiritual Path, The Science of the Greater Jihad, Essays in Principial Psychology, The System of the Antichrist, Truth and Falsehood in Postmodernism and the New Age, Vectors of the Counter-Initiation, the Course and Destiny of Inverted Spirituality. Most recently, The Alien Disclosure Deception, The Metaphysics of Social Engineering. Charles lives in Lexington, Kentucky, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Charles. It's a pleasure to be back with you once again. The same here. I'm glad to, glad to be in, in touch. Well, our topic is the counter-initiation, and I think it's fair to say that this is a term that's relatively specific to the traditionalist movement that you're part of. Yeah, the term is, is specific to the, the traditionalists. It was um, basically developed by René Guénon. It appears, I think, mostly in, in his book, The Reign of Quantity and the Science of the Times. Um, but the reality of the counter-initiation under different names is certainly recognized in many different traditions. So, um, so what is the counter-initiation? Well, uh, one could, could simplify it immensely and say the counter-initiation is the big conspiracy theory, <laughs> the conspiracy theory that embraces all other conspiracy theories, right? So, um, so anyway, going back to Guénon's terminology, um, well, it, this actually has to do with the question, which I'll get back to, is um, is, are, is there such a thing as true and false religion? And if so, how would you know? You know, so uh, in terms of tradition, now Rene Guinon talked about tradition with a capital T, which is the basic truth of God, his relationship to the universe and the human being's relationship to the divine and to the cosmic order that, that has always been known by the human race and goes back, you know, to whatever you call the beginning of the human race. This has always been known. And you see a little bit of this in Islam where um, Adam is considered to be the first prophet. You know, and we, we consider, you know, in Christianity, Adam to be, you know, the, the, the one who sinned more than anything else. Well, he was our first parent, our first father, but he sinned and that was the thing. But um, and this is recognized in Islam, but uh, he's also called the first prophet. So there, there's a lineage of prophets, which later in the Old Testament appears as the patriarchs you know, which carry on tradition. And then there is a shadow, just, just in, in almost the Jungian sense. There is a shadow of the true tradition um, of the, the perennial wisdom of the human race that subtly or sometimes not so subtly counterfeits, um, the, you know, the real, the real tradition. Now, initiation in, in, in the true sense has to do with 
um, introduction on a deep level to the meaning of tradition. Um, and then uh, what is opposed to initiation, according to Rene Ganon, are a number of things. One is anti-tradition, which uh, probably the simplest way to think of that is it's just materialism, you know, secularism. We don't believe in all that hocus pocus. We believe in science and nuts and bolts reality. And uh, that's anti-tradition. Uh, the, the, the greatest heyday of anti-tradition was probably the 19th century. That's when it looked like something was really, was really going to come from it. You know, well, a lot came from it, but not perhaps as positive as, as the 19th century hopes would have uh, indicated. Um, then there's there's pseudo tradition or pseudo initiation, which is a fantasy religion. You know, uh, uh, somebody comes up with an idea which sounds interesting and, um, it, you know, it, it, it can be given a, a religious uh, expression. And so, uh, you know, uh, not all of the New Age, but a great deal of the New Age would, according to Guinon, be uh, pseudo uh, initiation. And then beyond that, there is counter initiation there. Uh, according to Guénon, now Guénon was um, mostly between the world wars, uh, but uh, a bit before and a bit after, he um, investigated every, um, actually not not after World War II, but he, he investigated every occult or alternative spiritual group that he could find in France at that time. He was a, went to the Neo-Gnostics and, and the Theosophical Society and uh, the, 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 the Martinists and, you know, a whole list of, of, of uh, occult organizations, if you want to call them a cult. And he came out saying, this isn't just pseudo-initiation. These people are not just harmless lunatics. There is some very dark stuff going on here. And this is one of the things that led him to study the esoteric dimensions of the major world religions, which he considered to be on a higher level, and which I do as well. And um, so it's out of that encounter with the world of the occult that he came to an understanding or uh, of what he considered to be the counter initiation. And one of the interesting things in our time is it, it would appear, if you're a true conspiracy theorist, that elements of the counter-initiation have moved since Guénon's time out of, you know, the, the periphery of, 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 of uh, occult secret societies that may not have had a great deal of, of political influence, but they were, you know, they were working on it. Now, it, the elements of the counter-initiation seem to have moved into the centers of global power. And, you know, I'm not the only one who, who feels this is true. If I were to try and boil down into a nutshell the distinction between the traditionalist approach and the counter-initiation approach, I think I might put it this way, and please correct me if you think I'm off base. Uh, I would say the traditionalist view is, very simply put, God is good. And the counter-initiation seems to be moving in the opposite direction. That is, our highest value is uh, not good, but the opposite of goodness. Or, or whether, whether it's, it's overtly evil, you know, God is, is weird and powerful. You know, the, the, basic, the basic reality of, of the universe is weird and powerful. Something like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's vision of things. You know, and that's interesting you should say that because recently I was um, viewing an interview um, between you and, and Whitley Strieber that happened about a year ago. And I was thinking, you know, uh, this got me thinking, uh, what, what are, the, are, the, are the elements of true initiation or true tradition that the counter initiation cannot counterfeit? Because it tries to counterfeit everything it can. And I came up with two, and that was the first one. It cannot see you know, absolute reality as one with a sovereign good. You might say that, that there's an, an element of the absolute that's beyond what we consider to be goodness. That's true. But out of it comes goodness. You know, one, the, because, because goodness 
is more complete than evil. E evil is full of holes and fractures and, and incompletions and privations and, 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 you know, contradictions. Whereas good is fully formed and, and, and it's, it's instinct with meaning and, and with, with beauty and with all of the, 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 the things that indicate positive reality. And this is becoming less plausible to, to more people now for some reason. Um, you know, it, it used to be, it, 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 no one quotes this anymore, but what, it was Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. And most people nowadays would say, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, if God's in his heaven, you know, he must be the devil given the state of the world. You know, this is what people say. And But the, the, there, there was a sense, and it was mysteriously a very esoteric sense, but yet it was completely popular and collective, you know. That, that basically reality, you know, is good. It's otherwise it wouldn't exist. It would just it would die of, of its own self-loathing. It wouldn't even be here. There's got to be something positive in it, you know. And th th this was a, a natural, you call it natural, it just, but the, it was a very common view that many people had, probably because we lived in more of a Christian culture, you know, in, in, in the West. And um, that's all gone now. So, and the other of the two things that I believe the counter-initiation cannot counterfeit is it cannot uh, say, as every true tradition does say, every true tradition grants primacy to the human form. I mean, um, the Buddhists say, you know, that, that the human state hard to attain is the only state from which you can really gain enlightenment. So it's privileged in that respect. That maybe that's not, they're, they're probably different you know, different views on that, but that's a very common thing that's said. Um, in, in Christianity, you know, God incarnated as a human being, not as a, as an animal or, 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 or an angel or a star or, or a spook, you know, um, and in, in, in more esoteric, um, traditions, you know, in, in the Kabbalah, you have the Adam Kadmon, you know, who, who is the, the, the epitome of, of God's manifestation on earth, which is pr pretty much the same as, as Blake, Blake's Albion figure. And you just see this all throughout the religions. You know, humanity is central. And in the, in the Quran, it, it says, um, God, God offered the trust, the Amana, offered the trust to the heavens and the earth and the hills but they were afraid of it, and 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 they they fled from it, and, and man assumed. So you know we can sort of bear the 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 role and and the duty of being the central manifestation of God in in this world and in this universe. Um, this is the idea in in Islam and in Sufism that the, the human form is is created. Um, based upon all of the names of God. Every name of God is reflected in the human form. Angels, you know, maybe are, are, are just, you know, each, each angel reflects one name. Angels are higher than we are. They're closer to the celestial world, but we're more central. We were down here, but, you know, we're more comprehensive. Everything that, 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 is, that is in the universe is also in us. This is the, the traditional doctrine of, of the, the, we're the microcosm of the macrocosm. And, you know, the, the whole sense of the anthropic principle, however you, you um, construe that, you know, which is important in physics, is, is, is another way of seeing, you know, the centrality of the human form. Well, when it comes to the counter-initiation, they can't say that because they operate by violating the human form. You know, like the UFO aliens, who are certainly counter-initiatory, you know, I would say, from my point of view, um, th their tactics are terroristic. They degrade and violate so often. And once you do that, you can't say the human form is is essential. The human form is, is a God's manifestation on Earth. That's why they, they want to do this human-alien hybridization project. You know, you cannot return to the divine as a human being, you have to become half alien, you know, and that once that happens, we are dead meat because our only line of relationship 
to our creator is, is the human form in which he created us. If we depart from that, we're induced to depart from that, then there is no way. And, and we go into the outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, so the, 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 the counter-initiation is, is pretty bad news, but it's becoming more openly expressed in the world today. Well, I, I'm a little puzzled by the emphasis on the human form. I know it's written in the Bible, God created man in his image, but since God is a spirit, not a uh, an animal, uh, one wonders about, uh, you know, is this body something very special? When you say human form, do you mean five fingers, two arms, and two legs? I mean both, you know, spirit, soul, and body, spirit, psyche, and body, the totality of the human form. It's just we're more comprehensive. I mean, think of, th think of how many animals, you know, we, we can imitate. You know, th think of all, all the, 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 the primal peoples who have different totems of different animals. This clan, you know, will, will be the eagle clan. This clan will be the badger clan and this and this. And, you, you, you know, Human beings wear masks of animals in order to turn in, into the spirit form of a particular animal. You know, animals don't wear human masks. <laughs> you know, and w when we, in our terrible bad taste, dress up our pets with little, you know, little hats, you know, and stuff to make them look human, it's it's always just doesn't work. You know, it's 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 very poor taste. So, you know, um, and and th this is sort of a. Uh, well, I mean, the whole the whole idea of human dignity, you know, you know, we don't hear much about human dignity anymore, but, you know, it's 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 essential to, to, to our democracy. It's essential to all our religions. And um, like, why is a human being more important than an animal? Why? Why? If, if a human being is murdered, do we say this is a capital offense, whereas if somebody kills you know, a dog you know, he may go to jail, but that's not a capital offense. We, we you know, th this is natural. You know, it's and it's and, and we're induced to think, well, that, that's just because, you know, we're. Um, what's the word? We're simply arrogant. You know, we, we, we have an excessive view of, of our own importance, you know, and whereas if we look at ourselves from from the cosmic standpoint, you were just a, you know, a, a microbe crawling upon a a third-rate planet, you know, orbiting a fifth-rate galaxy somewhere at the edge of things, and we don't count. Well, that's not how we experience ourselves unless we're taught to experience ourselves that way. We experience ourselves as the center. Now, okay, the center is every – who said the – uh, the, the the universe or God, I forget, a number of people said this, is, is an infinite sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Okay, the center is everywhere. I'll grant that. But, you know, for, for, as human beings, the center is going to be human and we better hold to it. Otherwise, we're leaving the center and going to the into the outer darkness. Well, during the Renaissance, there was a, a movement. It was called humanism. There was the idea, man is the measure of all things. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that you would uh, contrast humanism with traditionalism. Yes, I would. But it, it just that, that, that line, man is the measure of all things, is very interesting. That, that can be taken different ways. If we say man, the ego, man, you know, the phenomenal... Uh, you know, as we experience ourselves apart from God and apart from the cosmic order, as as if we were self-sufficient, if that's you know what what we base our humanism on, it, it's simply a, a deification of the human ego, and the human ego is going in the direction of illusion and, and away from from the center of truth. But to say man is the measure of all things is very interesting. I mean, we are the measure. Uh, it, it's just the one who's doing the measuring is God. You know, God is the one who's measuring and we are the yardstick because he designed us that way. We are the measure of all things, you know, literally. Uh, as I say that, that that's a way of talking about the anthropic principle. Man is the measure of all things. But this doesn't mean that, that we're talking about man 
um, Promethean man who, who thinks he can rebel against God or ignore God or go off on his own. You know, if you're a deist and God created me, thank you very much. Now I'm, I'm going to do what I want. You know, that um, if that is humanism, then humanism is a scourge. Yet there is a, there is a spiritual or more, you would say, a metaphysical or an esoteric humanism, which is very true. And you find it in every major world religion. By talking about the importance of the human form, given that we live in a universe of uh, billions of stars and galaxies and undoubtedly other planets where other sentient beings like ourselves exist, I assume our form is particular to this planet because of the gravity, because of, of the atmosphere, that there could be beings that are fully human on other planets, but look very different than our form. Yes, there, yes, there could be. I, I would not deny that. I'm just saying um, this doesn't change the fact that, that, that it's through our own particular form that we have our relationship to our creator. And that, that would be true of any sentient species on other planets, none of which have been discovered yet. But you know, they might well be there. They might they might be so far away that one sentient species could never meet another. We don't know. But but I you know, certainly I, I would not say that's impossible uh, because it, it isn't it isn't um, a question of comparison. We're not saying, well, the human race is better than those other beings, even if we don't know if they exist. If they do exist, we're better. This is not what we're saying. We're, this is not what I'm saying. I'm saying our way, our touchstone to the divine is our own form. And if, if we forget that, we are in deep trouble. If we think we can alter this, this form anyway, according to whim, you know, perhaps according to market forces or, you know, or, or you know, uh, we, we, we all know what kind of alterations and deconstructions of the human form are happening now. And th this is disastrous for our relationship to, to the divine because we're departing from our archetype. And there's nowhere to go once you do that. Well, it sounds like you're saying, above all, that violence against human beings would be uh, not... Uh, part of uh, of a true religious tradition or a true initiation to to violate the human form is opposed to god's revelation to man and as some would say as humanity um on the other hand we live in this world um you know that there there has always been war. There has always been violence. You know, and and so religions have dealt with that. Some cases through pacifism, like the Buddhists, although they didn't didn't always practice what they preached, of course. You know, and and others through through a just war doctrine, like the Catholics, or like like Islam, which you know in 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 its origins had had a very strict and has always supposedly had a very strict just war doctrine, which has also not been followed in many cases. Um, so we, we, we have to deal with the imperfections of this world. We cannot pretend that, that you know, that, that this, this world is not involved with evil because it is. This world is involved with evil because if there were no evil in this world, there would be no world because the world would be God and there would be no created world. There, the, the only way that, that, that something can exist apparently outside of God is for it to have imperfections and shadows and darknesses, you know. And, and so we have to accept that. And we also understand that, that if this world is woven of good and evil. This also makes this world a world of choice. This is why, why one of the questions, why are we here? You know, it's like it says somewhere in the Old Testament, uh, I lay before you death and life, therefore choose life. And that's what um, that's what life on earth is, <laughs> you know, is, is, is the chance to make that choice. 
Now, you were quoting from Deuteronomy, and uh, I've done other interviews in which uh, maybe I'm getting off topic, so I don't want to linger here, but there are those who suggest that uh, Deuteronomy is, is not an authentic uh, book of the Bible that it was added at a at a later date for political purposes and is really a, a way of detracting from the authentic tradition. Well, I mean that's biblical criticism for you. You know, I mean I, I've seen uh, you know biblical critics who, who will look at, I mean that they can tear apart a book like Isaiah, you know, because some of it's in verse. And some of it's in prose and, and, you know, and it draws upon, you know, or, or you know, different books of the Bible will, will draw upon different traditions. You know, they will find, well, what, 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 are, what are the, 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 the A texts and the B texts? I forget what that is, but, you know, and, and they will imagine that, that um, the, um, you know, the Bible is just patched together by, you know, cunning scribes who didn't really believe in any of this stuff. They were just trying to control the masses, you know, this idea. And and uh, I don't go, go along with that because I look at my own writing, you know, and my writing could be torn to shreds. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll write prose and, and then I'll put a verse in there. And and I've got quotes from all over the place, from, from different traditions, you know. And somebody could say, oh, this could not have been written by one writer. It must have been written by a committee. You know, and, and that, that's that's ridiculous. if these people were actually writers, then they would know that what they said was wrong. <laughs> you know, if if they were in, in any sense, creative writers or, or writers who, who, you know, wrote anything on spirituality or philosophy, they would know that there's no such thing as as originality. What what you do is is, is, is you have a complete. um let's say, individual recasting of a completely common tradition, which, which, which you're embedded in, you know, and that's, that's the way scriptures and, and writings of, of, uh, of spiritual import are developed. They're, they're not put together by, you know, committees of, of academics, you know, and people who are academics and sit on committees, you know, tend to think of everything through their own, uh, their own lens, which is not really the case for writings like that. Well, I think it's fair to say, probably in every religion, you have a distinction. Sometimes it's called the distinction between the esoteric and the exoteric. Sometimes it's called the distinction between uh, a non-dual and a dualistic approach. Uh, but the phrase that you quoted from Deuteronomy, I have set before you life and death, choose life. Uh, that seems pretty dualistic. Duality is, is one thing that exists. You know, to, 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 to say that all dualities come, you know, to say that there is duality is not to say that all dualities do not come from the one. Um, all manifestation is based on polarity. It's based upon a figure-ground relationship. If there were no figure-ground relationship, nothing would stand out in, into existence. Nothing would appear. All be one. There would be no form. There would be no happening. There would be no time, no space. So there has to be, let us say, some would even say an imbalance. There has to be a figure, you have to concentrate on this figure and this ground recedes into the background. Once that happens, then you have form and, and you have you have happenings. And that's that's the way it is. But, you know, the problem with dualism rather than duality, duality is, I mean, um, positive and negative poles of an electrical circuit. Do, you, do, do, do we damn electricity as dualistic? No, you know, but 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 it operates in terms of, of, of a polarity, right? Uh, like everything else does in, in the realm of manifestation. The problem is when you absolutize duality and, and, and you say, like the Manichaeans uh, apparently did, you know, and, and like some say the Zoroastrians did, there are two real principles, one good and one evil, you know, and, and they're equal and, and, and co-eternal. And that's the problem. 
No, it's not true. In fact, I, I read the Gothas, you know, which is the, the, the original Zoroastrian scripture supposedly composed by Zoroaster Zarathustra himself. And I look at this and I'm saying, this isn't dualistic. This is the story of, of you know, Ahura Mazda is simply God, the absolute reality. And Angra Mainyu, you know, who, who people look at as, as a second God who is evil, is simply uh, probably an allegory of the ego. Now, that's what it, that's how I read it. So it isn't really dualistic. But when people forget a, a, a certain esoteric dimension to, to, to scriptures like that, then you can come up with a, a myth, a myth of, of absolute dualism, which, which is wrong, which is not not the truth. Well, back to the counter initiation, I, I'm under the impression that uh, one way to phrase it would it would be something that's satanic, or I think you use the word Promethean, uh, the idea of um, being opposed to or rebellious against goodness or or God. Yeah, I think I think that's you know generally true. I mean, there, there are many different manifestations and levels of which which that happens. But uh, from one way of looking at it. The counter-initiation is an attempt to create on the psychic plane alone a, a religion which uh, uh, will be opposed to spiritual religion. Now, you know, we have to look at, at being um, hierarchically, if we want to understand the difference between spirit, psyche, and the material world. Um, spirit is self-sufficient. Um, complete, you know, of the absolute. It's infinite. It's it's all good, and it's it is essential truth, essential love, essential wisdom, and because of those things, it's essential power. And the psychic plane, on the other hand, is not evil, but it's subjective. You know, the the, the spiritual reality is objective. It is what is. Uh, the psychic plane is is, is created by impressions. You know, it's it's the realm of my view versus your view, or in addition to your your view. Um, you know, the, this this is uh, uh, Jung's sense of the collective unconscious, uh, which is a very real layer of existence. It's it's a collective subjectivity. You know, it's 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 a it's a mass of all the impressions of what is true by all the sentient beings in the universe. Okay, that's another level. And if you try to to draw only upon what you find in that level to create a religion which will supposedly uh, incarnate absolute truth, first it's impossible, and secondly, it's an imposture. And it is done because people don't want or Human beings and perhaps angels and perhaps non-human beings do not want to get beyond their own subjectivity. You know that they don't want. They don't. It, it, it's too much of a of a submission and too much of, of a of a humiliation for them to say God is real. You know, and 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 what I may think or feel about God or about myself is exists, but it's less real, and God is beyond. My impressions. God is real in Himself and self-sufficient. They don't like to do that. Uh, Lou Welch, my um, mentor uh, as a poet, beat generation poet, Lou Welch had a wonderful line. He says, "I seek union with what goes on, whether I look at it or not." Now I love that, you know, <laughs> because uh, psychic religion is only interested in, in the way it looks at things, right? Whereas true objective religion is there. Objective truth is there whether or not it exists, whether or not you're aware of it. But to know that it exists, whether or not you're aware of it, to be aware that it exists, whether or not you're aware of it, is a very interesting approach to reality. So, so anyway, um, psychic religions developed. Um, I mean, you, you, you look at, at uh, the Old Testament, you say, well, um, perhaps it started with a serpent in the garden. 
you know, uh, Adam, Adam and Eve were, were, were immersed in objective reality. You know, they walked with God in the cool in the cool of the evening. They were in intimate terms with absolute reality. And then the serpent comes and says, well, you know, if you eat this fruit, um, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that what God knows? God knows only one thing. He is only one and he knows only one. But but the serpent says, well, you know, how can you be like God if you don't know the distinction between good and evil? You know, and of course, once the, the fruit is eaten, then you have to deal with the distinction of good and evil. And then, you know, death and life are, are laid before you and you'd better choose life. But there is a point where, um, in other words, th this introduced something subjective. This introduced my judgment as, as to what's what's real what's good and evil, which which rapidly becomes, uh, you know, what I like and what I don't like, you know, what's pleasant and what's unpleasant. And and then, you know, you, you, by that point, you're very, very far away from being intimate with the objective truth, which is the one. So this so it, it sinks. And, you know, you can see this in, you know, Cain and Abel. That's very interesting. You know, I, I, Abel. Um, you know, Abel, Abel was murdered by Cain, but but it's almost like he he went back to the one. He disappeared from the story, right? Because his, his sacrifice was acceptable um, to God. Now, and of course, this talk was talking about the distinction between you know the hunting and and particularly the herding societies, and then the the, the urban societies, the agricultural societies, which, which were developing, and one is on a lower level, you know, the, 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 the herding societies were, were, were intimate with, with animal life and, and, and they were immediately immersed in, 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 in the, in the flow of life and change. Whereas when you get to agricultural societies, then you still have to start to think ahead. What do I plant next year and how much grain do I have to store? And, you know, and, and, and it's, it becomes the whole, the whole sense of time is different, you know, it's, it's more, more limited, you know, and, and so, you know, you, you can see and, and what's you, you really get to the counter initiation when you get to the Tower of Babel. Now, what's the Tower of Babel? That's a very interesting story, um, because it seems like. Well, I mean, uh, weren't things better when there was a, a single single language that everybody spoke? And, and why did God screw that up? You know? Uh, the the uh, um, Nimrod was building a tower to reach to heaven, and it, it couldn't be completed because God confused the tongues, and people, you know, had different views of things, and 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 different not just different languages, but different religions, different spiritual conceptions, different motives, and there was no longer unity enough to build that tower. Why didn't God want the tower? You know, it sounded like a good idea, um, because. In some sense, it was probably a counter initiate, counter initiatory counterfeit of the true religion, because Nimrod, I always said, and I can't prove this, but you know, Nimrod was a great hunter, <clears throat> and I said to myself, well, what did he hunt? Maybe he hunted religions. It seemed to me, and this is just me, and I, I can't prove this, is, is if this didn't talk about some early. Uh, stage of culture where there was an attempt to unite the various religions and the various worldviews through power, through a kind of political religious imperialism that would, through power and through conquest, create a great system. You know, and we can see. I mean, this is what Rome did. Rome um, basically plundered the gods of its conquered peoples and installed them in the pantheon in Rome. They're all now, you know, part of Rome. And, you know, the, this was an imperialist uh, 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 method, you know, to, to control its populations. So, you know, I look back and say, you know, maybe this, this is an earlier example of that, you know. But um, it, w w when one tries to to take heaven by storm. Um, this is the counter initiation. There, it's as if the Titans, and we get to the Titans here, as if the Titans were beings who really were 
you know, elements of the divine and elements of, of, of the celestial order in an earlier world age. They were higher. Maybe they were higher than the Olympian gods. Maybe they, you know, and, and but then, you know, history, you know, if you, you can call it history, went forward. And it was now the time for the Olympian gods who were the gods of humanity, whereas the Titans were gods of, of some some higher uh, higher level of things. But that but that that time had passed. And so God is saying, well, we, we are we are expanding creation and we're bringing it down in, in, into all, all its possibilities. And so that this is the next phase. And the Titans said, no. I, we will not be demoted. We're going to stay on that higher level, man. You know, this is one of the problems. This is something that the traditionalists can get into, a problem that traditionalists can get into if they don't watch out. You know, we're going to stay on that higher level. We're not, we're, we're not going to, you know, put, put up with this, you know, degeneration of the latter days. Well, you're going to have to live with the degeneration of the latter days, you know, and, and find the spiritual potentials in it because, here we are. And, and, and if, if you try to hold on to something higher that has passed, then you become titanic. And, you know, this is Prometheus stealing fire from Zeus. You know, he probably stole it because he remembered when it used to belong to him. And now these upstarts have got, I'm going to take it back. You know, well, that wasn't the thing to do at that point. So, you know, um, th this is, is one of the of, of the motivations and the elements behind um, the counter initiation it's as if, you know, Lucifer is cast out of heaven and he's by God going to take it back. You know, he's going to, you know, so. Well, you've made this important distinction between the psychic and the spiritual. And now as a parapsychologist myself, the word psychic comes up a lot in terms of extrasensory abilities. And I'm under the impression, though, that your use of the word is, uh, is not the same as the way parapsychologists would use the term. Well, um, it probably, in a way, includes the meaning that parapsychology gives the word, but it's basically, it's subjectivity, you know, it's subjectivity. And um, now how subjectivity relates to the parapsychological, certainly the parapsychological goes beyond our, our usual sense of subjectivity. My thoughts are inside my head and part of me, you know, because it, it shows that it's possible on what I would still call the psychic plane to go beyond the individual and to contact other individuals and to contact other, you know, places and times in, in, in the manifest world. And so um, it's, it's certainly an, an, an attempt to, to get beyond the constriction of mere limited subjectivity. And yet it misses the sense of the divine. It misses the sense of the absolute reality. You're not looking for absolute reality. You're looking for, you know, if, if, if the remote viewers can, can discover a, a Russian submarine being built, you know, in, in this pen somewhere in, in, you know, in Asia, right? You know, and, and, and that which is very extremely interesting if they could actually do that. But it's not on the same level. You know, the difference between psychic power is even the most interesting, uh, even the most uh, helpful. You know, like, you know, the, like those are the psychic surgeons that I went to in the Philippines and California as well. Wow, they can really do that stuff. They can reach into your body and pull out some kind of, you know, supposedly diseased tissue, you know, and, and, and you know, the incision closes up immediately. There's a little bit of blood, hardly any. You know, there's maybe a little twinge of pain, and it goes away immediately, and they, they can do it. So this is amazing. But this is not mysticism. You know, this, this is not what um, Plotinus was talking about, or Roman Maharshi was talking about, or even Al-Arabi was talking about. This is not, you know... Sense of the presence and the reality of God. This is something happening at a lower level, and it's not 
an evil level. It's a level where evil becomes a possibility. I mean, you know, if, if you if you open to the psychic plane for very a very good purpose, say in order to heal, in order to gain power to do good, if you do that, well, more power to you. And yet, there is a certain danger to it because uh, not all the denizens of that plane are benign. You know, so you can open to it. And like I've noticed with, with psychic surgery, there was a feeling that there was almost a, a danger of a post-operative infection, you know, on the subtle plane. You know, you, 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 the, your, your body, you know, and, and your subtle body, your energy body is opened by these surgeons who are working with beings from from the psychic plane, as I would say, rather high in the psychic plane, but they could interact with with uh, matter. And uh, that's all very well, and but but then um, the incision closes. But on the subtle level, did it entirely close? And did this not make make you vulnerable? One felt to other darker forces that might come in later. So this is a whole other world, you know. Then then what what you know the, the saints, the sages, and the mystics are talking about. You know, and, and it's a real world and it's important to know about, it, but it's not the same as mysticism. Well, are you equating the uh, psychic realm as you've defined it with the counter initiation? No, I'm not equating it. I'm saying when, when the counter initiation has pretensions to create some something that could you know, should be called spiritual, you know, they hope to be called spiritual or something that would be a religion that could be as valid as something that's coming from the, the spiritual plane. That's where it becomes evil. Uh, if, if, if the psychic plane is understood as its own level and, and you operate on it on that level and deal with the, uh, you know, the, the positive and negative intelligently and with skill with the positive and negative potentials on that level, that's fine. You know, but it's the pretension to say out of, you know, psychic um, impressions or, or out of psychic powers, we can create a religion that's as good as any God sent to humanity. That's where it becomes evil. Well, what would be a an archetypal example of a counter-initiation so that we, we have a clearer picture of uh, what you have in mind? I don't feel terribly good about the Satanists because, you know, they're saying, well, our religion is just as, you know, it's a religion too. We have a right to, uh, you know, freedom of religion. So we're a religion as well. Well, um, there are true and false religions, but how would you know? How would you know what's a true and false religion? If you if you just simply keep it on the level of freedom of religion as a right and as a good thing for society, then there's no way you can tell because, you know, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, you know, uh, are religions. But then there's Satanism and there's the Church of Scientology and there's the Church of the Subgenius, things like this. And and what's the difference? Everybody, you know, it's it, whatever, whatever turns you on, whatever you believe, you've got a right to believe. Who's going to tell you you don't have a right to believe anything you want? And, you know, um, so once you get on that level, people look at the differences between religions only as as a question of turf. You know, well, of course, you're a Muslim. So you think Islam is the true religion and you, and, and you damn all the other. That's your religious gang. And, and of course, you're at war with all the other religious gangs, you know, so what? You know, that that's that, so what else is new? You know, in other words, there's no objective way to talk about what's a higher or lower in the religious field. You know, like look, look at it in terms of poetry. I mean, we, we have poets like Dante and Blake and Shakespeare and Homer. And we have poets like uh uh, Charles Baudelaire and Charles Bukowski. You know, I mean, I wouldn't call Bukowski evil. I think I really like some of his stuff, but it's not on the same level as Dante. You know, we have to understand there's a hierarchy uh, of of uh, degrees of of reality and degrees of meaning. You know, so how how would you uh, pick out a 
Well, going, getting back to UFOs again, there is a, a tendency now, and it's quite widespread, and it comes from many, many different um, works of fiction, both videos and in print, and many, many documentaries, and they keep being churned out every month by the History Channel and everybody else who was interested into UFOs these days. And there's a myth developing, which seems to be an engineered myth, in my opinion, that God did not create us, that we were created by the UFO aliens. Therefore, they are our proper guides and protectors. And once you look like at, at the recent um, Pentagon report that came out talking about the deleterious effects of close encounters with aliens, you know, which include radiation burns and multiple sclerosis and and long term. I mean, I, I've recently been in touch with, um, you know, I, I, I said I wouldn't get in touch with Kit Green, but I did, you know, and it's it's been interesting, you know, and, and he says, you know, what he's doing now, this he's, he's a uh, for people who don't know that name, he's a CIA a, a, a very prominent physician with a CIA background who, um, you know, is is um, very much integrated into the medical establishment of this country and his work with NIH. And he's he's now with some I forget which um, university. Well, that sounds right. Wayne State University with with, with their, their medical system. And what he's doing is treating people who. Um, from the military who had close encounters with UFOs. And he says, um, he tells me uh, 25% of his patients die within seven years of these encounters. And he doesn't know what to do. You know, so I wrote back to him and says, well, why don't you go to some alternative medicine directions and see if acupuncturists or Reiki practitioners or, you know, martial arts masters or, or anyone who's dealing with, with the subtle energy level uh, and, and Catholic exorcists, you know, S see what these people, how these people read your patients on the energy level and see if we can figure out what is going on from their standpoint, you know, but, you know, it, 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 these beings are terrible. And, and you know, what, what Whitley Strieber basically in his interview with you, you know, revealed that he had been raped by these beings, literally, and he had been injured to the point where he, he was in pain for 20 years. And, okay, are these the beings we want to take as our spiritual guides and protectors? I don't think so. So that is, this is some counter initiation that's in your face. And the people who are promoting, like Stephen Greer, are promoting the UFO religion, uh, are certainly agents of the counter initiation as far as I'm concerned. That's a good example. You go back a little farther, and it's, it's sad because <clears throat> um, the, one of the, of the, of the errors of, um, René Guénon, probably his major error, is that, that he saw through so many of the organizations he'd been involved with as counter-initiatory, you know, and he, correctly, I think. But then he, he spent so much time with Freemasonry, trying to purify Freemasonry, writing articles for both Freemasonic and anti-Freemasonic periodicals. Uh, he wanted Freemasonry to become some kind of esoteric, something like a Sufi order within Christianity, within the Catholic Church, and it never worked out, you know, and, and he, he ignored the, the great anti-clericalism of a lot of Freemasons. So you look at the Freemasons, I mean, I wouldn't say that Freemasons are all Satanists, they're all evil, but there's a counter-initiatory tendency because, um, you know, it's it's like an early kind of syncretism. It's an early kind of Tower of Babel. In fact, there, there, there's an old uh, couplet which comes from, you know, a few centuries ago, which says, if history be no ancient fable, Freemasons come from the Tower of Babel, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, an, an attempt at a syncretistic world religion, you know, which um, 
at one point became a worship of rationalism. How that happened, I don't know. It looks like Freemasonry may be uh, one of its uh, of its bases is is a, a, something like a Sufi order um, that um, that left its that left Islam that left its its proper center. Um, th- this this is another um, you know uh, segue or, or or you know uh, this may may be going off topic a little bit. But what's interesting. You talk about, you know, the, the relationship between the Templars and the Freemasons and the Templars occupied the the the, um, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem during what the Second Crusade and. Um, undoubtedly, you know, th- this was the, the second holiest spot in Islam and it had this beautiful building, the Dome of the Rock, and there had to have been a group of people who maintained those buildings. And it would stand to reason this group of people would be an initiatory group because they were sacred buildings. And all craft guilds in those days, in both Islam and Christianity, had a kind of an initiatory aspect. You know, there were grades of, of, of the apprentice, the journeyman and the master. And, this, and there were trade secrets, which were often given uh, a sort of a symbolic, if not esoteric, twist. You know, so it's entirely possible that, that the the Templars encountered a group like this and took some of them with them to the West, uh, you know, because soon after, um, you know, the, 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 the Templars occupied the, uh, the temple uh, the temple Mount, um, you started to see the beginnings of the Gothic arch in Europe. And apparently it was the Al-Aqsa Masjid on the Temple Mount that was the first example of the Gothic, of, of the pointed arch in Islam. So they could have gotten it from there. They did, they also did octagonal churches sometimes, which would remind you of the Dome of the Rock. So they could have taken these people, you know, uh, west with them, or at least some of their techniques west with them in order to, to, to do their own building in Europe. And um, this 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 may be the origin of what part of what later became the Freemasons. Who knows? I mean, Idris Shah, you know, a a neo-Sufi writer whom I do not necessarily agree with everything he said, but he said that, uh, you know, the the basis of of the uh, Freemasons was a Sufi order or initiatory group called Albana, the builders. So who knows? But, the problem is here we see another way you get to the counter initiation. Um, a Sufi order is a legitimate expression of spirituality within the context of Islam. If it goes somewhere else, you know, as, as Sufis all, all, always, you know, have this tendency, you know, why, why do we have to, to, to be you know, un, un, under the thumb of, of these ignorant clerics who don't understand what we're doing? There's a temptation to become, um, you know, freelance and say, we, we know we know better than and why do we need Islam at one point? They might even say and perhaps they did this. They, they when they went into the Christian world, they were a fish out of water. And, and um, you know, the, a dark, a dark side of, 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 the, of their potential started to come out. And this is where you get a very subversive anti-Christian um, element to the Freemasons. So. There's a certain counter-initiatory aspect to them as well. There's many different ways to talk about it. Well, if I were to think about a, an archetypal example of what you're calling a counter-initiation, the, the image that comes to mind for me would be the Aztec religion, where you know they built these pyramids at the top of which people lined up to come to the pyramids and have their hearts torn out while they're still alive. Yeah, that was pretty dark. <clears throat> and um, I'm reminded of what William Blake said, um, the gods should sacrifice to man, not man to the gods. I mean, what this is, this is another way you could talk about, yeah, about counter-initiation. This is, human sacrifice is literalism. I mean, you know, to to say you have to have your heart torn out, sacrifice, offer your heart to the sun uh, in order to keep the sun alive. Well, 
this is is a literalization of uh, you know, what is the sun symbolically? The sun is the divine intellect, and, and, and the heart is the center of the divine intellect within the human microcosm. So there is a way that the heart must be offered to the sun, but not that way. That, 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 that's, you know, rank literalism of people who do not understand the, uh, you know, the meaning of the symbols they're dealing with. You know, and so, so I can only see human sacrifice like that as, as a a product of a degeneration of something which was understood eons earlier. Even with the Toltecs, you know, there was um, a, a Toltec king, a say, a couple Quetzalcoatl. You know, there were Quetzalcoatl was was a, a um, you know a, t- a title of, of a lineage of, of priest kings, not just not just a god. You know, he was one of the Quetzalcoatls, and the. Um, the human sacrifice priests were, were, were the worshippers of Tezcatlipoca, which means dark smoking mirror. You know, they were the jaguar priests and the dark smoking mirror was like obsidian, you know, you know, volcanic glass. And also obsidian was what the knives were made out of that you would cut the uh, victim's chest open and tear out the heart. So here you have Quetzalcoatl being say a cuttle Quetzalcoatl representing initiation and Tezcatlipoca representing counter-initiation. And they were just like this. And and what what Quetzalcoatl, the king, tried to do, he did great austerities. You know, know, great self-torture. Because if you look at something like, you know, the, the, the Sundance of the Plains, North American Plains Indians, here you have a real sacrifice. It's voluntary. And, you know, it, it, it is done for, for the good of the tribe. And and, and so, you know, the, the, the dancer and the sun dance will suffer. You know, I mean, you know, in some cases, they'll take a split of wood and, and stick it through the, um, the flesh of the chest and tie that with a thong to, to a central post around which they dance for hours without water in the, in the heat of the sun. I mean, talk about, you know, rigorous asceticism. But th- th- this is done, you know, consciously for the good of the tribe, you know, to. to and so th- th- this is this is something that later degenerated into human sacrifice. Um, you know, for first, first it, it, it was self-sacrifice and th- then it became, well, you know, uh, the priests are going to sacrifice you. They're not going to sacrifice themselves. They're going to sacrifice you. And but but this is a great um, uh, a great honor, you know. And so you know people would say, well, I'll offer myself to be sacrificed. And then it went down and down and down. And finally, the, the Aztecs were doing flower wars, which they would fight the tribes around them, just in order to get prisoners in order to, to sacrifice, you know. And and they were sacrificing more and more and more people. Obviously, the whole idea of of because the, the, the original the first sacrifice is sacrifice of the ego, you know, and, and the heart is in a certain sense yourself, your true self. You know, if you offer your true self to to God, you know, who, whose symbol is the sun, that's the real sacrifice. But it became literalized and then it became a horrible industry, you know, and finally the Aztecs were conquered by Cortez because all the other Indian tribes hated their guts and Cortez came in as a liberator and said, let's let's get rid of these guys. And and, and he, he had plenty of allies from the other tribes. That's how he was able to do it. So, yes, that's definitely counter-initiation. Well, you've raised a, another interesting issue I'd like to come to, which is the, the Sundance, the self-mutilation that's involved. Because earlier you talked about the sanctity of the human form and how uh, when extraterrestrials uh, violated the human form, that would be counter-initiatory, whereas... I think you're suggesting when it's done in the context of the Sundance, uh, it need not be thought of that way. It's a sacrifice. It's 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 an honor. I mean, you know, this was was not a degrading thing to be kidnapped and treated the way those bastards treated poor Whitley Strieber. You know, uh, 
So, you know, because once again, rigor is inherent in, in life on this earth, you know, life and death, suffering and, and triumph are all part of life, and they all have to be sacralized somehow. Well, Charles, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm delighted to be able to talk to you about it. And I know we're just scratching the surface. As I read your books, there's, there's so much uh, depth in, in your writings. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we will continue our conversations. I think we have a lot more to talk about. And I know you've promised me that uh, at some point after we've gone through more of your material, you You'll even share some of your poetry with our viewers. Yeah, that would be a, a nice way to conclude the whole series. Anyway, at this point, I should say, if you are interested in learning more about the counter-initiation, two of my books will be helpful. One is The System of Antichrist, and the second one is Vectors of the Counter-Initiation. So those are the books that, that develop a lot of the themes I talked about today. I recommend those books. I've enjoyed reading them myself. I can't say that I'm uh, a traditionalist or that I agree with everything, but I think that your work is well worth people paying careful attention to. I decided I didn't just want to talk to the traditionalists because they've been talking to themselves for so long. I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll throw this out here in, in such a way that people from any number of directions could come to it and get something. Well, I'm very glad to have had this time with you today and this conversation. I look forward to many more. And I want to thank you once again, Charles, for being with me today. Well, I, I, I always enjoy it. You know, <laughs> it's a congenial atmosphere. You know? <laughs> I hope so. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you too for being with us.